Well, Ben, if someone if someone were to call themselves um, a dream wizard, and if I would pick somebody, I would probably say it probably looks just like you, to be honest. Thank you very much. I've got the uh, I've got the uh, kind of Santa Claus vibe going, so I feel trustworthy, and I am. I mean, that's also the image I'm trying to project. Uh, but uh, it's it's also a bit stylized. I mean, what you got to have the beard and the hair to really you know, sell sell the wizardry, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the flourish of a of a magician in some ways. Uh, branding, uh, you, you got to do it, but it's all you know, um, all towards a good cause in my estimation. You know, I'm not trying to sell anyone flim flammery. I I bring, um, you know, real psychology to the job. Uh, so this is not. Uh, I mean, there's a long, you know, at least well many centuries old tradition, but in psychiatry specifically, there's at least a, a hundred years, a full century worth of respect for the the concept that dreams do generally mean something, uh, to greater or lesser degrees. Yeah. Hey everyone, we've been using Furnish Finder for the last five years. When it comes to travel nursing assignments or long-term vacations, Furnish Finder is a place to go. One of the most trustful aspects about travel nursing is finding housing. There are a lot of sites that offer furnished homes for short-term leasing. Furnish Finder has thousands of furnished properties nationwide to meet your every need. If you're looking for a one-bedroom studio to a three-bedroom family home, Furnished Finder has you covered. Travel with a peace of mind with Furnished Finder. Start your search at FurnishedFinder.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, so Ben, then how did you get started? Like dream analysis, were you always dreaming as a kid? Did you like psychology? How did you enter this field of, you could say, dreams? Yeah. Um, I am, I tend to be a person who does not frequently remember their dreams. And I'm not alone. Uh, but which So... Um, there's people who lucid dream and there's people who remember every dream vividly and they're long and there's people who remember a dream here and there and that's pretty frequent. Then there's kind of a category of folks who like, you know, they just wake up never even knowing they had a dream. Uh, no, there's, there's nothing we would call a dream because and that's a, that's a fascinating story. I'm all over the place. You're going to follow me sometimes. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back most of the time. Um, there's a, first, first of all, what is a dream? I mean, the idea of there, there was a debate, it, it, this has been a long debate, about, you know, what does it mean to dream? What is actually happening when we're asleep? And so the the definition that makes the most sense to me and the one that seems to have the most consensus around it is it is a, uh, you know, a nocturnal vision of a kind that you can remember upon waking up. That's what we tend to colloquially and, and, and with the concept of a dream that we have in our mind. Oh, I I had a dream means you remembered it. I had no dream means I don't remember it. That said, I think we dream constantly the entire night through. Um, all of this 
again, circling back to, you asked me, uh, uh, how did I get into this thing? Um, so that I think may be the fact that I don't dream or don't remember them almost never. Like I've literally like a handful, five in my entire life. I can kind of remember something happened and I have a memory of it. Got an eyelash in here. Ah, that's okay. It's going to happen. The good luck, right? The good I, eyelash. Right? Absolutely. Uh, I, I should have, I should have saved it a little yeah. way, like a, like a, <laughs> like a ladybug. Um, that probably leans me towards the fascination with well, what's going on with this people who can remember these visions and I want to hear about it and try and try and understand that experience better. But uh, long story short, too late for that. It also goes back to um, my college days when I was kind of just being introduced to the field of psychology and all the different stuff that's in it. I was taking a history and systems class where they're going through everything back to Socrates. I mean, really the ancient Greek philosophers kind of started all the, all the disciplines and sciences, including psychology that Socrates was doing to kind of question and answer. Well, let me find out what you believe and why and how that manifests in your life. Like early proto psychological interaction with some, with some people in a sense. Um, okay. So we got to Freud and Jung in the uh, early 1900s and as an assignment for the class to kind of help us understand how these two figures shaped psychology going forward uh we were told well let's look at their their fascination with dreams so the assignment was i want you to go home and and use two of your own dreams or ask a relative doesn't matter uh ask a friend uh, uh get a dream somehow and br- apply freudian analysis to one dream and kind of a jungian perspective on the other dream because freud and jung were friends and colleagues and uh, there was a lot of ways in which Jung was actually kind of a disciple of Freud's, like a student of his, even though they were kind of like almost equals that Jung decided to study under Freud. Then they had a split and went in. The, okay, these are my value added content here. Hi, baby. We're going to have cat visitors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. They're, they're hilarious. I can't, I can't. Um, so to, to, to help us understand better where their differences were one of the main highlights was the value of dreams and how to best understand them freud of course thought uh again there's like unpacking and then i'm gonna get back and then make thread of it this is actually how i do this is how i do dream analysis i follow these random tangents uh we'll get into that i assume at some later point um Freud generally assumed that the they were trying to understand, you know, we, we call animals having instinct. Well, what is it that drives humans? We call them drives or urges or or whatnot. And Freud theorized the life drive in a way, which he called the sex drive, which it wasn't always about sex, but more about the the will to live, to produce successive generations of humans that will continue to live. So he gets pigeonholed, I think, unfairly sometimes as, oh, he's just the sex guy. Everything's a penis. But it wasn't like that. Um, Okay, so he thought the root of it, but he did actually bring kind of a sexual or or life drive interpretation to dreams because he thinks that's at the core of everything. And we we distill it down to that to be of maximal specificity and greatest benefit to the patient. Um, Jung went a different direction and he said, no, there's so much more. There's a lot of different drives and there's a lot of different ways of understanding. And so Jung d- developed, you know, the archetypes under his thing, which actually uh, uh, he, he was also influential. And I think friends with Joseph Campbell, who did the hero with a thousand faces, 
they they were onto the same idea that there's these repeating ideas and motifs in human history. In some ways, you might say it's like cycles of human experience. We're all going to experience the world in the same way by virtue of being human. And he got his whole collective unconscious thing going. Long story short. Uh, so I'm in this class and we're asked to do these papers. Uh, you know, just a, a one, one and a half pages, brief dream analysis. Don't get too deep. Don't don't worry about it. Just going to knock over my stack of books. You, you got to go. You got to go. My familiars are very rastily. They want um, some camera time. Yeah, they do. They do. They're pretty until they start knocking over books. Then then they got to go. <laughs> oh, she's back. Here, here's a neat trick. We're going to show your audience. If you have a cat that will not stay off your lap, uh. <laughs> a can of compressed air. They get the, the, yeah. <laughs> then go. they're not, then they're not wet and you're not, you don't feel bad for making their face wet and getting it in their eyes. Um, okay. So I did these two papers and I brought them in and I got an A on them. The teacher was like, you, I think you really understand these two different perspectives and the analysis of the symbols in the dreams was done very well. Good job. You, you, you nailed it. So I you know, wear that as a badge of pride uh, back in the day. And I thought, maybe I got a talent for this. So throughout the last you know 20 some odd years, 25 almost since I got out, out of college, um, I've brought this talent or fascination to my work. And I used to work in inpatient psychiatric. Uh, so the worst cases of you know, severe bipolar, schizophrenia, suicidal depression. And every now and again, someone might mention, oh, I had this weirdest dream. And I'm like, let's talk about it. Uh, let me let's see Let me see what you got. Are you interested in, in trying to make sense of it? Does it feel like something uh, that is useful to you? So, you know, roundabout, I don't know, two or three years ago, I decided I'm going to give this a go and see if I can make this my day job. And I, I you know, did the market research in terms of no one is... No one is really doing what I do from this perspective. I think I'm like the only one. I'm super niche, of course. Um, so I launched the uh, the YouTube channel and and started uh, publishing works of historical dream literature. These are not all my own unique creations. Like this one uh, specifically, this is uh, uh, the 16th book under what I call my ABC series, uh, Augury, Bibliomancy, and Chaos. This is Dreams and Their Meanings by Horace Hutchinson. Uh, published in 1901. So I'm trying to resurrect and in some ways uh, recreate, but definitely enhance these volumes. Um, this one's got 160 footnotes, 353 pages. So if you're going to spend 14, 15 bucks on a book, you're going to get, you're going to get something of a, you know, beefy size. And it's got, it's packed full of content and it's very well formatted. And uh, I take great pride in the editorial endeavor there. Um, so I've got, uh, Oh boy, um, five or six more books I'm going to do, and then I'm going to start on a new, more original series. Uh, and that's my rant. I, this went all over the place. You, you had a, you had an original question. What what, what got you into this? <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all good. And then we'll do a shameless plug here. The, the books are they available on Amazon or you got a website? Yep, yep. Uh, basically, one stop shop for everything is BenjaminTheDreamWizard.com. Um, you've got a complete listing of all the books. You've got an archive of MP3 episodes for all my dream interpretation uh videos like like you know uh, scan them over to mp3s and put them up there and then links to the youtube and like a dozen no no less than a dozen more than a dozen social media sites um 
I also stream video games. That's a thing I do here because I just play them for fun. I'm like, I might as well make it my job. Let's yeah, do this. I feel Let's you. do this. Yeah. Yeah. My, so you never know. It might catch on. You know, you do Twitch, you get some, get some views. You never know. It could, yeah. It could, you know, something could, could come out of it. But Ben, when it comes to, to dreams, is there a reason why some people remember dreams? Why some people don't remember dreams? Is there anything maybe you could take like a supplement to maybe help you make your dreams more vivid if somebody that likes to, to dream a lot? Um, how, do, how does that differ? Yeah, I my working theory, and I, I think it has validity, but then what does it mean? Uh, my working theory is that there's something biological or constitutional in, in, in that way, how, how our body is constituted, that is unique to different types of individuals that allow them greater access to that layer of memory during sleep, where it kind of encodes and follows them out. Um, there's There's also evidence and you know historical evidence and research that says the dreams that we remember tend to happen closer to awakening in that sense so if we're just naturally awakening if you set an alarm and it breaks you out of sleep you're probably more likely to have the experience that you were just doing something else in the way of you know having a dream experience but what makes individuals, even under those conditions, some people remember the entire sequence of everything they were doing in an entire dream. And then there's people like me. So when I, so it's very rare I, I even have that, that experience alone. What is uh, even less com common, no, no, more, what is more common? When that does happen is what I'm trying to say. What I'll come out with is just the fragment of a fragment. So I have one experience that I don't even consider a dream, although I know it was. I was standing by the rear passenger side, open, open door of a vehicle. Why I was there, what I was doing, the color of the car, you know, nothing else. Sight, sounds, just that, that fragment of a fragment came with me because I was awakened by an alarm. And there's theories, and I, and I think they have validity too, where there's certain deeper levels of sleep where you're just so, f you're much further from consciousness and it's just not encoding into memory because, because you're not close enough to the place where memories happen. That, that kind of a thing. I wish I had a better answer for you. We don't know. <laughs> There's so much that's unknown about dreams where we're looking at a purely internal phenomenon based on self reports and we're trying to study and separate out the differences. And we've been doing it since 2000 years ago and, and more. Um, some of the, some of the works I reference go go back that far. Um, I actually wrote a, a three volume series. Well, wrote re, re uh, compiled an anthology. I did. That's that's well, you know, of of other works that go back as you know as far. Um, this one starts in the you know like the 1600s and brings it up to late uh, late 1800s. Um, but there's other works I'm going to be trying to um, anthologize that get back to the Greek and Roman stuff. I did, actually did have one in here that's um, Dreams in Homer and Greek Tragedy. Um, that was, it was just a guy's, I don't know how I found it, but it was a guy's PhD dissertation to join like the Department of Philosophy or become a professor or something like that. And it's like, I had to take all of his citations and just move them to the back of the book because it was because like 30 pages of, of, of footnotes that he added and then I added more. So, uh, but it's an amazing work that looks at, well, how did the Greeks conceptualize dreams? And they have like a ton of different words. Like they have seven words for love or eight words. They had a ton of five, six words for dream and the different types of dreams. 
um, and they distinguished them in a lot of different categories. Well, that's, that's where we started, and, and it's referenced, and it, it has informed our understanding today. Um, there was a question in there. I, I forgot what you were asking me. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's all um, good. It's all good. So, my thing, my thing is, is there any way thing you could do to maybe oh yeah. maximize your ability to remember dreams, maybe like a, like dream journaling? Is there anything that you could do to maybe help you remember dreams? Can you maybe like focus on like, hey, I'm gonna try to dream this night, and I'm really gonna try to pay attention and remember my dreams. Anything that you could do to to en- enhance your ability to just remember what you dreamt? There are methods suggested that I'm not too familiar with. Um, I've, I've come across them, like, like in terms of um, explaining them and how they work and giving it as a recommendation. So I also try to really stay in my wheelhouse and not get too far outside, uh, staying humble in that respect. Like I, I know what I do and I know what I don't know, you know that kind of thing. Um, so if you travel especially in lucid dreaming communities like if you find it on reddit if you find a discord that has to do with lucid dreamings uh those uh communities tend to suggest a lot of different methods i've seen things from you know uh, uh, do meditation before bedtime dream journaling i've heard people say eat a banana and then a banana or, or a glass of warm milk before bed and and the validity of those things that may be something they discovered on their own, something they heard from a friend. I don't know that it's been scientifically studied how to make people more able to remember their dreams. That said, then this it was a great question too. We know it's got a biological component to some degree because there's a uh, there's a change in people's experience of dreams based on starting or stopping medications. Uh, that's definitely a thing. And some of it might be as simple as uh, you are unable to get deep, restful sleep because you have back pain. So you start a a pain medicine. Now you're able to sleep more soundly. So now you have more or less dreams based on that. Or a a dream might, uh, uh, the experience of dreams and remembering them might change if you start a new, say, psychiatric medication for depression, for for schizophrenia, for um, a neurological condition. Uh, so, and I don't know, uh, part of my journey has, has been, I, I decided to take this seriously and kind of begin at the beginning. I'm reading everything. And then because I'm reading everything and I also want to make a living at this, I'm sharing everything I'm reading. Now you can read all the things I've ever read at, so I'm working chronologically. So very soon into the near future, I'm going to be trying to put together, uh, compilations in some ways of, of the latest research um you know I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface of the early 1900s and there's there's been a lot since then there's all, almost been more since then but than there was in the past 2000 years although it doesn't change anything that came before a lot of the okay. icon- yeah yeah um so that being said and again reading these stories there are 
it's so unique to the individual. There are people who will say, if I want to dream about a specific thing, I will focus on it as I fall asleep and I will dream of it. There's another guy that said, wait a minute, if I focus on a thing, I do that on purpose so that I don't dream about it. And it's like, well, how do, okay, it's the same thing, but you're getting two different results. It's got to be something to do with the individual. So, um, I, I mean, that really fits with my broader perspective on uh, dreams in general and, and certain dreams, uh, certainly dream symbols. There is no dream dictionary approach. You're not going to go look up seashells and it's going to mean the same thing to you as it does to me. Broadly speaking, seashells are connected to the ocean. Maybe we, maybe we go somewhere. But for one person, they have a horrible memory of when they were a child, they stepped on a seashell and broke and cut their foot. And, and it, they're, every time they walk, they feel a scar. That means a specific thing. Another person, seashells mean, I remember walking on the beach with my grandfather collecting seashells. That's how we spent the time when I went to visit him in the summers. I mean, you couldn't get two more different understandings for the same symbol in a dream. Yeah, yeah. So that's where, I, that's where my... Uh, that's how I understand that in terms of my approach. So okay, All right, but and yeah. then what about like, if, for example, daydreaming? Or have you ever heard about? Um, it was called like remote viewing, where people are like daydreaming, but they but they think they're somewhere else. Because sometimes you know I would stay up late, I'll get into these rabbit holes. Sometimes I would look into dreams, and I forgot what this what this was called. But it was like a government run project where they tried to do remote viewing. I think it was in or after World War Two or during World War Two, where they were trying to, or during a Cold War, I think it was, we were trying to figure out like where Russia has their nuclear, um, nuclear ro missiles or rockets. And they did like a project, I forgot, I forgot what it was called. So that, does that have any validity? Does, is that any kind of scientific background? Because there was some kind of exploration with it. You know, the government did, did a project to try to figure it out. So do you know any background about that or how that even works or if that's relevant at all? Oh yeah, for sure. So um, uh, you may have heard of the movie and you may not, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Okay. Does that sound familiar? I've or, heard of it, but I've never seen it. I've, I heard it being mentioned on Joe Rogan before, but I haven't, yeah. I haven't watched it, though. Yeah, that was a fictionalized account of, or a fic fictionalized version based on a true story of exactly those government programs of trying to decide if there was validity to psychic powers and if they could be put to use to, yeah, remote view um, where a certain, you know, a stockpile of nuclear missiles was during the Cold War. Absolutely. That is, that that absolutely happened. Um I'm a big fan of uh, you. I might be a little older than you are, but just a smidge. Uh, in the 90s, I used to listen to a guy by the name of Art Bell. He did Coast to Coast AM, and he was into all kinds. He would talk to people that had written books on aliens, and he would talk to remote viewing experts and people who said they discovered a hole to hell somewhere, speaking of Russia, uh, this just deep chasm that they put a microphone in, and I, whatever was going on there, whether it was could always be fake. You never know. But um, whether it was the earth making sounds or it was fake or sounded like people screaming. Mm, it sounded wow. like human voices screaming. Now, that could be anything deep, deep, deep in the earth. Who knows? It could be the grinding of tectonic plates. Who knows what it was? And who knows if it was real or not, which, you know. So that gets me onto a whole different um, kind of a related tangent, but also kind of a meta level discussion is I bring psychology and my own unique autistic tangential mind squirreliness to what I do. Uh, but I keep that very sectioned off. It's kind of staying in my lane type of thing. If I'm going to tell you 
if we're going to come to an understanding, it's got to be something I can understand myself and reliably enact, we might say. Then there's the other side of things, which is the spooky woo side. And I say that with love. I always, always, always caveat that. That's, you know, I would say parapsychological. That sounds dismissive. At least spooky woo just sounds fun. I like it. Yeah. And that <laughs> yeah. is psychic powers and, and telepathy and visions of the future, literally prophetic dreams. Here's, here's the thing. I have a friend I know in real life lives not, not but a half a mile from me. He has told me, Ben, I have had a prophetic dream. I dreamed it, and a week later, that exact, literally that exact thing happened to me, and I blew my mind. I'm like, and I was questioning him, because this is how I get into these things. I said, are you sure it wasn't just kind of an instance of deja vu? And he says, no, this is this feels completely different from deja vu. You have the, the sensation of deja vu, what, what, you know, the Matrix cat loops. And then you have this prophetic dream thing where you're like, this is my dream. This, that's happening. That's happening. Everything's happening exactly like it did. This is how he's describing it to me. So I don't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. I don't Could it be just coincidence? You know, because there's so much people in this world and there's so much different situations that can happen in someone's life where I feel like there's almost bound to be some kind of a, a coincidence. Probably not always like, oh, I got to have that, but there's going to go to be a certain amount of people that have a dream that just happens to turn into reality just by possibly be coincidence. Like that's, that's also a valid thing. Or is it, you know, is it not coincidence? Is it some kind of like a calling? Is it destiny? Is it some kind of, um, you know, a outside of this world kind of thing happening? There's a lot, a lot of that going to happen, but I feel like maybe sometimes it could be a coincidence that people maybe, maybe over, overthink it, overthink it. Because I, I do believe that, that, you know, we, we are here in, in this, in this world. And I feel like there is some, other supernatural thing going on that we can't really explain or or, or, or grasp but just just the way way things are but i feel like a lot of times when things happen it just happens by coincidence because we're in a world full of chance where things are bound to happen to somebody and that's why you don't you're not gonna hear everybody telling you hey i dreamt this and this happened you're gonna hear a small amount of people maybe a one or two people in your lifetime that are going to tell you hey this is how i dreamt it this is this is what happened and that's what i feel is like a it's like almost could be like a mere coincidence it that is I would say an equally possible alternative hypothesis. This was literally psychic or something, or it was uh, wow, what a what a amazing random chance it just happened to be. Now that's why. So here's what here's what it is. I, he's not the only one I've talked to that said they've had prophetic dreams, and there's a long tradition and many documented cases, like hundreds, thousands, perhaps. There was a whole um, British society, I think, called the Society for Psychical Research that was going on in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and they went around collecting these stories, trying to, and this was during, you know, the um, kind of revival of spiritualism and the occult in the late 1800s. So very fascinated by, and and the uh, rationality of man bringing able to bring our scientific method to the study of these, these uh, phenomena. Uh, they didn't get very far, unfortunately, but they documented a lot of cases. So what I look at it as, I, I consider myself a credulous skeptic. I'm willing to believe anything. Anything's possible. My bar for proof is pretty high. So when I don't know what something is or how to make use of it, like if you and I were, were doing a dream analysis and you said, now, now, Ben, now that you've heard the dream, do you think that's a prophecy? I mean, this had to do with a future event in my life. Is that going to come true? I couldn't tell you the difference. I couldn't tell you, yes, it is or no, it isn't with any certainty. I don't, I don't know how to tell the difference. So I have to unfortunately, set that aside and say, let's look at it as if it's not a prophetic dream, not a psychic communication. What else might we be able to get from that? 
what um, relevant understanding might it provide to you that could be of benefit when that future event does arrive? Because you might have been dreaming about a vacation you're going to have and a, d a disaster happening on the vacation. Um, if you are worried enough that that is a possibility that you're going to cancel your trip, I wouldn't tell you not to. I, I also couldn't assure you it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but we could look at maybe why you would be concerned about that. Um, if, if there's any past, you know, like you're just, it's like just a therapeutic interaction. Are there any past events that make you sensitive to catastrophic events? Have you been through, you know, severe trauma? Is this likely you're worried? Um, because that's just kind of how you roll. You just kind of worry about everything. Um, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Uh, you know, are there any precautions you could take to, pr to prevent that disaster going forward? Like you, you dreamed you went on vacation and your house burnt down. Well, were you planning on leaving your house unoccupied? You were. Uh, how about a house sitter? Bring someone in to keep an eye on the place. Was there a house sitter in your dream? No. Okay. Well, that's one way you can change the future. Let's say it was prophetic. Uh, it's uh, certainly a way you can alleviate your anxiety of your house being unattended, which is not an unrealistic fear. People could break in, a fire could break out, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's almost like your subconscious is helping you out a little, a little bit in, in a sense. Yes. That's what I think dreams are. Your subconscious helping you out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So to me, it's almost like aliens. Like for me, aliens, like I want to believe in them so bad and I, and I want them to, to exist, but it's like, there's nothing for sure definitive to tell me that, Hey, these aliens do exist, but I want to believe in them so bad and I, and I want them to, to be there. But, but there is, but I can't guarantee you that I'm going to tell you that yes, aliens exist because you yeah. really don't know, but you want never it to exist one. so bad. Yeah. yeah. That's the same thing with like, uh, you know, aliens, ghosts, vampires and whatnot. I've come to a place in my life where I'm like pretty content to never know because I'm not sure I want to meet an alien or a ghost or a vampire or a werewolf or any of these things to, to a level that would prove to me, yes, they're real. Cause I probably survived the encounter. Maybe it's better not to know Bigfoot. He could just go live in the woods. If he exists, I'm not going to go into his territory. Cause that's probably a very dangerous wild animal that doesn't want me there. Facts. We'll, just leave, yeah, we'll just leave him alone. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Ghosts are cool too, because if you think about ghosts, they're always like in a home or they're always some you don't really see like ghosts, you know, outside or, or, or walking around. And I forgot who this and I forgot who this uh I think it was a psychologist. So he attributed like ghosts and paranormal activity to items. So like like items have something in them that they hold on to to like, you say, like energy these, or these something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah because you yeah. don't see ghosts like at a house. You don't see ghosts on the street. They're always in a house, they're always associated with some kind of an object they're always in something so he's saying that maybe these walls around us items that we hold on to for generations they they hold some kind of a personality some kind of energy that then brings that that paranormal activity out in some way yeah that's a big theme in so uh cultural lenses are a factor hugely in dreams as well as well as uh, religious and political beliefs even though what i do does not assert any religious spiritual or or, or political um system. So uh, why is that relevant? I, what I thought of is the uh, kind of well-known Japanese belief or or what am I trying to do? Almost like part of their mythology, we would say lovingly, you got to get down, get off the books. Kill me smalls. Um, they believe that if a person dies a horrible traumatic death, it leaves res residual energy and that's a curse. And so we get movies like um, uh, Ju On, I think The Curse or whatever uh, we called it in America. I can't remember, what, but it was the you know the person, um, an American. Uh, what was her name? Uh, one of those uh, blonde actresses from the late nineties, early two thousands. 
She moves I'm horrible into actor a, names. I can't. I me too. Like <laughs> I, I, I can almost see her face, but she moves into a house, and the house has cursed energy. It's got the little boy that now, and he's like, and then it's got the hair and the lady, you know, in the ceiling. Um, that has potential to be real. Uh, hell if I know. Uh, but let's say that's how a person, let's say a given person believes that, whether I do or not, that would, you know, if they brought to me, I was a, a dream where it said. I was in a house and there was a cursed spirit. There was, there was, so I would look at, okay, what does this person believe about cursed spirits? How does that relate to their understanding of the world? Because a lot of times we take these symbols, cursed spirit inhabiting a house. Okay. It's an idea, a specific type of symbol related to this cultural landscape that the person's existing within. And that we follow that path in a way where it's like, I wouldn't want to go to a person like that and say, I don't believe in ghosts, so we're not going to talk about that. Or you, this is a symbol of you being foolish because ghosts aren't real and you're you're being silly. That's asserting my worldview onto their internal landscape and symbolism, which I, I tell tell people all the time, and I, I try to tell folks before we even start talking. You know, I do a little pre-interview before I record, and um, this is a good thing to say. Okay, it's a good thing to say too. Um, if you wanted to be a guest on the show, I'm not overbooked. Please reach out. Social media, BenjaminTheDreamWizard.com, all of the above is a contact page. Uh, I will literally talk to anyone. You don't have to appear on camera. It's better if you do. It's nice for the audience to have someone to look at, but mostly this is about the conversation. Um, I never record without permission. I never release a an episode after we talk without permission. I will make edits to remove personal information. Um and any reason or no reason at all, you don't want your episode on my channel 10 years from now, I take it down, no questions asked. None of my guest streamers sign release forms. Uh, you know, this is not uh, the Jerry Springer show. I'm not looking to embarrass anyone. I've edited things uh, by request, I've, uh, and I've taken things out myself that I thought were necessary to remove for the safety and privacy of the, of the individual, um, you know, without request. But this is... Um, Pretty high ethical standards. I'm, I, 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 this is not counseling and therapy. We're just two people talking about dreams. I'm not charging you money for a licensed service. That's illegal. But I bring my my experience and my training and my ethics to this experience. Um, absolutely consent-based on that regard. And I've, I've been very fortunate. None of my dreamers have said, you are not allowed to release an episode. That was a mistake. But I will. I will. And it's not a waste of time. If I don't have an episode for one or two weeks, I'll live. But I'm not going to take advantage of anyone i, I refuse um but i'm really curious going with that with, go ahead with the, <laughs> with the dream analysis because i've always been curious and fascinated like genetics and the history of genetics and i always thought it'd be super cool to be like where i'm to figure out where my genetic lineage came from is there any way you could maybe tap into dreams and figure that out because i was listening to a podcast it was an nfl player and he was really struggling with substance abuse and like anger and he went to do like dream analysis. I'm not sure if he went to, if it was like a ketamine clinic and it helped, and it was like ketamine and, and dreams. I'm, I forgot what the whole thing was, but basically it took him, I think it was like over a year and he was trying to figure out where his anger stemming from because overall he's very successful. He's, you know, he's happy, but he just always has this, this anger. And what happens was he had these consistent dreams. It's almost like he had these stories going through his, through, through his mind when he was dreaming and he figured out that, he came from like a Nordic place and where his anger stemmed from was that at one part of his dreams, there was these two brothers and one of the brothers, they were, they were both in royalty and they, they disliked each other. And this brother 
um, had a child with this woman that the other brother brother really liked. And he had this child and the one brother killed the other brother that basically fell in love with the woman that they both loved. And somewhere down his genetics was he was the kid that was born from there. And his anger stemmed from from his, you could say, that child's father being murdered by his, by his brother. That's what he came to realize that that's where his anger stemmed from was the genetics of this this boy that was born and and his father was killed by the father's brother so that's kind of where, what he realized and after he realized that he was able to do some kind of counseling and he was able to decrease that anger but once he kind of realized where his anger stemmed from he was able to relax more and that anger dissipated a little bit over time i was curious is there anything legit to that is that just because another another coincidence or what's your opinion on that i would take it for granted that he's not lying and just accept that he had that experience. I'm not certain, you know, and what I, you know, when I say it that way, it's like, it, there's always the possibility people just blown smoke and you got to take things with a grain of salt sometimes. Um, but I think for the most part, those kinds of stories are real. He says, I, he says, I had this experience. Here's what I experienced. Here's what I think it means. And, and, and we're getting an honest report. So we just deal with it as if, okay, this is true. This, this is, this actually happened. That said, I'm not sure if that specific explanation is true. I mean, I'm certain he believes it and there might be some validity to it in some ways, but we're getting into the realm of past life regression with, you know, with hypnotherapy. I'm not sure about that either. And, and what I do is I, I'm very, like I said, credulous skeptic. I don't accept it as true. And I certainly don't understand it well enough to say it's not true, but I don't practice that and I don't know how to make sense of it. So I kind of leave it off to the side a little bit. That said, I don't think if you do anything and it's not harmful to you and you're better off for it, God bless. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like you're not hurting anybody. Hey, if you did past life regression and and that explained some things about yourself and it improved your quality of life, I don't have a problem with it. I don't practice that. I'm not sure I would recommend it or endorse it because I'm not really sure what it is or how it works. Um, that being said. We there is some spooky woo stuff to the idea of Carl Jung's collective unconscious, and there's actually multiple layers to it. That one layer is that kind of genetic component. So there was a um, a theory going around in the kind of eugenicist times, which was late 1800s into the early 1900s, and you know I would say the some of the most famous eugenicists, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, to to save your YouTube monetization, we'll say Uncle Adolf was one, and so it's it does not have a good it does not have a good reputation. Um, even though that you know, compared to dysgenics, the idea of our our of de-evolving in some ways. Anyway, it's a whole broad thing that's that's very fraught with with political significance. But one of when they thought it was just we can learn the science of how to make a better human. Um, during that time, they were looking and they had just discovered the kind of, this is post Charles Darwin and we, we realized evolution and the connectedness that, that we are connected to all the ancestors going. But now we, we had that as a religious or spiritual concept going this ancient, you know, being connected to our ancestors. And then we realized it's literally, physically, biologically true. There was a theory and I'm trying to figure out how to, how to explain it. There's a word for it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to dig out of my brain. But the idea that you could have ancestral memory, and I don't know if you know, um, there's a uh, uh, a movie coming out this month. Uh, it's called Dune Part Two. I don't know if you're a fan of the Dune book series and uh, movies. 
about the, the uh, Dune, uh, D-U-N-E, the, the desert planet with the spice and those sandworms. Oh, no, um, not familiar, no. Yeah, well, one of the things he proposed in the book, or, or described as a, as a you know, this is fantasy world, it, it, it's a sci-fi fantasy world. He proposed that the spice melange that is harvested on this planet, created by these great worms, you you ingest it and it helps to unlock for the for the mother reverend mothers what they call them the uh, kind of a female order of priests in a way um it un- helps unlock their ancestral memory so they could actually have conversations with the their ancestors in their head and ask you know if i was related to richard the uh, 3rd or whatever i'm not but uh, probably probably some scottish royalty but um i could actually have a conversation with him and say hey you know great 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 uncle richard talk to me about this thing i would have him in my head so this was a theory they actually kind of really took seriously this kind of genetic memory in a way and we hear that today with um trauma memory being proposed in some circles that a long history of of and and maybe even if you know it's certainly in the black community uh, it's been proposed but maybe also in uh, jewish community the idea that being through you know 2000 some odd years of variety of suffering has is, is carried forward and modern jews actually feel it and are connected to that in a way. This is all to go to um, the idea of, uh, so this theory was taken seriously and researched and and given scientific credence and whatnot. And then we get to uh, Carl Jung and he's proposing, well, that's one layer of his idea of the collective unconscious is like a literal genetic ra- racial memory in a way. Uh, and by that, they just meant human race, your, your lineage. Um, it has different layers as well. Another, so that's the physical biological layer that they would, you know, is conceptually valid, but we're not really certain how that works either yet. So we still haven't validated that a hundred percent. There's a, there's a, a mid layer, which is that humans share a common experience by virtue of being human. We have generally two arms, two legs, two eyes. We need to eat and sleep and poop. And uh, we, we feel love and hate. And, and so there's a lot of these, experiences that are common to the human condition and we share a kind of collective consciousness of these types of experiences because we have them in common between us we have we have a common consciousness of the human experience itself so that's one that's a middle layer that i take most seriously so um in dream analysis uh seashells the example they might mean something very specifically different sure but let's say two people dream of swimming in a lake and they have very different experiences of that lake, but water, lakes, are going to have a common human experience. We know we must drink water. We know water is wet. Um, we know uh, too much water and we drown. Uh, all these different concepts that are related to how humans interact with water by virtue of the fact of being human. I've overexplained it, but uh, you get the idea. Then there's actually another layer, which is the spooky woo side of things the possibility that we all literally human beings all share a psychic connection that literally we have a collective consciousness that we all participate in i don't know what to do with that either so the genetic stuff isn't quite proven the psychic stuff is possible but i don't know how to make sense of that either or certainly to, to my knowledge it has not been proven so i think that middle layer of common human experience makes the most sense to me and i don't even know if i answered your question again no <laughs> It's all good, but it's all good. I'm, I get it. Still good covered. I'm paying attention. You're, you know, you're saying a lot Thank of cool you. things. Thank I'm you. listening. So, not wrong with that. It's all good. So, when you do your dream analysis, do you feel like there's a correlation? If, for example, if somebody sees 
fire or, or water, does that usually represent anything? I know you said that it varies from person to person, but is there any kind of correlation between like, okay, I've seen a hundred people and let's just say 10 of those people saw water and now since they saw water, now they have some reason have more money. You know, is there any kind of correlations to, to anything? Is there, do, what can you take, what should you maybe take from your dreams or what can you take from your dreams to maybe better your life or, or bring meaning from, from dreams? What kind of meaning can yeah. you take out of from dreams? Definitely. I mean, lots of good quack. My brain's going five directions at once. That's, that's how I do the dream analysis. I just, everything I think I say it and hopefully I speak long enough that someone goes, that, that thing you said, wait a minute, that feels right. Say that again. You know, we follow that path. That that's part of it is like, I mean, this is a tangent of a tangent, but yeah, my analysis are, are always a collaborative process. I tell people the answers are not in me. You are inviting me into your head and hopefully I'm the guy, you know, uh, standing over your shoulder with a flashlight going, do you see what I see? What if we look over here? What if we look at this thing from a different angle? Um, so what I do is, is kind of, in a way kind of ramble off suggestions what if we look at it this way? What if we thought about it this way? Um, and then the people I'm talking with say, I don't know, that doesn't feel right. Fair enough. You can't be wrong. You literally can't be wrong. If it, if, you, if you will, there's almost like a visceral feeling you get from somewhere in your gut up to your head, like a zing, and you go, that's it. That's it. Wait, that thing. So we, and that's how we construct that meaning. I was going somewhere with that. You asked about common symbols and possible prosperity that kind of thing okay not so, say prosperity but just like in general does like maybe seeing a lot of fire that means there's gonna be chaos in your life not necessarily prosperity i'm just saying is there any kind of correlation from from like if you see these things or feel these things that are in a dream this is kind of where it's pointing you towards yeah so not in my experience so i've i've done you know probably 50 to 100 random loose dream analysis type stuff over the last 20 25 years almost and then re not also since starting this, I haven't found those kind of direct commonalities. I, I do find repeating patterns in some way that, uh, I mean, and it's all related to the, to the, to the universality of the human condition. We're all going to face different challenges and struggles where like, uh, the most re recent episode that may or may not be out by the time this, this comes up, but a person was conceptualizing themselves in their dream, the experience they had, they're running, they're in a giant field and they see a castle in the distance and they decide they want to get to the castle and they start walking and it's a long way and they're not getting any closer very fast. So they start running and then they see a kind of like a classic Disney witch, like a crone off to the side. And as he approaches and runs, runs past, she tells him to quit, to give up. And he's like, I'm not give it up. I'm running to the castle. Screw you. Well, he keeps running and leaves her behind, but then in the distance, there she is again. It's the same, and she says the same thing to him. So this this cycle repeats multiple times, and he's like, just not getting any closer to the castle. And so, in a in a in some ways, in a fit of frustration, he he gives up. He just decides to stop running and stand still, and instantly he's in the castle. She was right. He needed to quit to get to his destination so for this individual what we worked out and this is a bit of a spoiler if it's uh, like i don't know when this or or or, or not um it, 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 exclusive content for your channel you'll get the you'll get the analysis first we we looked at this as so what's the common human experience people have goals someplace we're trying to get to 
you you're in a, a wide open place you can go anywhere you can do anything you pick a place you want to go that looks appealing to you it's castle i want to get there well running doesn't seem to be making any progress the specific method to achieve a goal is not producing a result and there's a person and, and we had a hard time nailing down why it was a like a like a a witch woman like an ugly crone and then uh even after the analysis it popped into my head and this is why i titled the episode the phrase that occurred to me to explain the woman is the ugly truth like he didn't he didn't want to hear what she had to say he wanted to keep doing the, his chosen method for approaching the goal and the ugly truth was you need to admit to yourself this is not getting you anywhere this is not approaching your goal at all this this commitment to running and to continuing to run even though you can see you're not making any progress so it was the the assessment of methodology towards a goal is it functional no stop doing the wrong thing and change path try a different approach so and he was like whoa that yeah yeah i mean he felt it and and this was actually uh, a dream he had when he was very young and it and he was remembered it ever since because it was basically a profound turning point in uh him changing um i think if i'm remembering this correctly him changing his approach to things of like uh, being a little too stubborn about doing things his own way and not listening to advice, maybe. That, that gives an element to it in there. So all of that goes to to demonstrate that I think we can draw meaning. The, the dreams do have meaning most of the time. And I think dreams self-select for, for meaningfulness because dreams that you wake up from and you have a feeling of like some... In, you feel some kind of way about the dream. Like some dreams you just wake up from, it was, it was nothing. You feel nothing. Dreams you feel something about, there's something there that probably is is worth looking at. Um, yeah. 100%. So it's almost like, like when, yeah. when you say that, it's almost like I'm thinking like dreams are a subjective story. And just like stories like Pinocchio, Snow White, they all have a meaning of, of, of some sort. And that meaning is subjective. So it's like you went through this dream and it's almost like only you could understand this dream, but like your role is to think about ways that you can interpret this dream. So it's like all, only a person that had that dream can fully under, understand what it means, but they just might need sometimes some help to analyze it to figure out what it what it really what it what it really means. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think of myself almost in some ways as like a a midwife. You know, like I didn't make the baby, I didn't put it in the woman, but hopefully, if I'm doing my job right, I can help get it out. And it and it and it becomes a, a you know a person, so you know it, it certainly the baby's not in me. the The ideas, the answers are not in me. It wasn't my dream. It, uh, the, so yeah, my role is definitely to try to yeah, like a facilitate an understanding that if that hopefully see what is already there. I'm not trying to invent anything. I'm not trying to just make up a story that sounds good. Um, you know, I I think the. I think the truth of it, the reality of it, the experience of it is so much better than faking it. I couldn't, I can't imagine ever being satisfied with that. Like, I'm just going to bamboozle this guy for, you know, for two hours to make some content and make some money. Uh, I'm not making a lot of money, but uh, even, even so I wouldn't, I just couldn't, uh, that, that doesn't even interest me. Like, that's just like, like fake is unsatisfying. Yeah. You're just in, a genuine person, estimation. you know? Yeah. Just, like, that's the thing is like, I understand, so, so I'm a nurse, so I work in a, feel the predominantly females and sometimes i don't understand why like, these women take so much time and effort out of their day to 
you know, hurt or sabotage other people for like no reason, you know, and that always blew my mind. It's it's just like how what kind of person can you be if you're taking time out of your day to maybe to hurt somebody? It's just like how low a person you have to be to literally waste your time to try and hurt somebody else. That always blew my mind. Like it's just like I don't get it. Like you could do nothing and inert and, and the life goes on, but yet these people decide to to take time and hurt somebody and it's just like why? Yeah. No, for sure. And and uh, having worked in, you know, 20 years in inpatient psychiatric with nurses and, and doctors, I can personally attest to the level of just the unbelievably petty power struggles that go on. I don't get it at all. I was never that guy. There were people who were like, if the idea didn't come from them, they hate it and, and you're going to do what they say. And it's and it really a lot of that, that power struggle type of dynamic of trying to uh, control other people. I've never understood it. And, you know, it often made me angry too. Cause I'm like, I don't, that doesn't fly with me, you know, personally or watching someone else be bullied or taken advantage of. I'm like, I don't like that either. So I was, I was in some confrontations of my own that I hope were useful and not just power struggles, but you never right. know. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like you mentioned before, it's like that collective consciousness. Like we're all here to, you know, make this world a better place. Why are you trying to like hurt one, one individual? But I have a question. Is there maybe a, a reason or explanation why some people, in their dreams, see people that they know versus people that have dreams that only dream with people that they have no idea who they are. Yeah. Um, wow. This is this is a whole can of can of worms too. So historically, referencing the books one more time, there's a long tradition of say uh, visitations from the dead in dreams, and that goes back to um, the story of uh, Achilles and Patroclus in in the the, uh, the 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 Iliad, the story of the Trojan War. Uh, so what to do with that? I don't know. Are our ancestors' spirits really in our dreams talking to us? Or are we just imagining that they do because we miss them, their presence, we appreciate their wisdom, we've been thinking about them and they are on our mind because it's their birthday and you know we just like to see them as a wish fulfillment. A lot of different layers of that. Um, I would say... It, it comes down to the specificity of certain ideas. So how, how would I explain that? If you have a dream, you're at a carnival and the carnival ride operator is kind of this evil person and they won't let you off the ride. That's a kind of experience, but you don't recognize them. They're no one special. It isn't, it's more of a generalized concept. It's not about a specific person. It's about maybe someone who's got you trapped somewhere you don't want to be or the experience of being trapped. There's there's different layers. Now, if you imagine the person who's got you trapped on the carnival ride is your mother, that's going to mean something completely different. That, okay, how's your relationship with your mother? Do you feel pressure from her to perform in certain ways? Do you feel like she's set you up to be trapped in where you, in a situation where you feel out of control? You're on a, you're on a ride that you can't stop and she refuses to stop. Um then again, you can get into situations where the person, let's say the person is someone you knew and they're doing something bad, but that was never who they were. It's like, why Why would you imagine, let's say your mother, you have a fantastic relationship with, with her. She's the sweetest, kindest person and she would never trap you somewhere. Um, but you're imagining her to be this evil carnival ride operator that will not let you out. Then we would look at, at, okay, what is it about your mother that you think 
could that's it's hard to it's hard to imagine to fake these to make them up because the the questions are more connected to the specific imagery and it tells us more about the context but we would look in a different direction like okay well, so this is not actually your mother there's there's the appearance of your mother maybe or there is maybe some aspect of your mother that you conceive of as controlling but you don't want to admit it to yourself i mean that could be an angle to explore now this is not where i'm going to go this is what it means you know pay the secretary on your way out uh you, you, uh, we're we're going to talk about that and try and get down into it, um, and I don't remember why I used that as, as an example. Like, what was your question again? Good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I was just wondering why some people in their dreams see people that, see that they know people. versus people yeah. that they have no idea who, who they are. Yeah, yeah, and it can be very. So let's use a different example. Um, there was another dream where I think a guy. Uh, what was it? Um, it, it's very often that we conceptualize people as representing specific ideas or attitudes towards life. So if you have a dream, you know, yesterday that about a friend you haven't seen in, since college, we would talk about, okay, well, who was this friend? What was his personality like? And what was his approach to the world? What kind of shenanigans did he get up to? Uh, what kind of trouble was he in? Uh, what kind of success did he have uh, in academics? And we start exploring what that uh, the individual's concept of that person. Okay, now we put it in the context of the dream and say, why do we have this idea of a person enacting this specific behavior, which had this consequence? What what is that meant to say? Uh, and and it's there's there's an interesting thing we we think of, and it's it's in common parlance that dreams have meaning, or they're trying to say something. As if dreams have a will of their own. I don't think it works like that. Um, my concept uh, of of dreams is that uh, first baseline, like physiologically, the lungs breathe, the heart beats, and the brain thinks. And that never stops. Not when we're awake or asleep uh, until the day we die. There's always something going on or until you, you, know, you get hit in the head and your brain dead or something. But just as our heart and lungs continue working while we're asleep, the brain continues to work. And that, I, I believe, is what dreams are. It is that stream of consciousness, undirected experience of our own thoughts. So there's the conscious experience of thinking, of focusing our attention, choosing words. We're, we're translating our thoughts into speech for the purpose of putting my thoughts in your head. Um, but that's not actually what our thoughts are. A lot of our thoughts are images and sensations and, and, and concepts that we have packaged in specific, specific ways. So what we're doing with dreams, uh, uh, or when we remember a dream, what we're looking at is that undirected, unfiltered stream of consciousness of what our thoughts really are, is is what I think is happening. You know, so dreams are actually how we think, and then s speech and communication are translating how we think into the ability to put my ideas in your head, basically. Because like thoughts are not the same as we don't really. If you if you think talk to people too, and I think they've done research on this as well, people don't really think in words. We take our thoughts and we translate them into words. So thinking is actually something else. It's usually um, images and and experiences and and sensations and emotions, um, and then we we translate that into words. Like, I think I've said that several times now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I don't that know makes where complete going, sense. Trying to explain yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes complete sense. So now, now yeah. that I'm curious about, about nightmares, I know when I was younger, I used to have 
a lot of like a lot of nightmares. And then I'm not sure why that happens, but I grew up to be like an anxious person, so I'm not sure if maybe nightmares are are they correlate with with anxiety. But I'm I'm just curious how why do some people maybe experience nightmares? Because there have been there's been times where I've been super happy in my life, and I would still get 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 nightmares, and I'm not sure. If that's representation of something, you know, maybe some kind of trauma in the past or, or something, or the people that well have any PTSD be. or trauma, are they more likely to have nightmares versus dreams? Or some people I've heard that they only have nightmares or sleep paralysis, st- stuff like that. Yeah. How, how does yeah. that all work? There, there does seem to be a connection between certainly negative emotion and experience and nightmares. It, it, it's not well documented it's not well studied it's not certain there's there doesn't appear to be a direct one-to-one why do some people have nightmares who who went through the same experience and some people don't i think you said something that's very relevant though which is you've recognized in yourself a tendency to be a little high anxiety fair enough you just it's a self-reflection that's how i roll i have a terrible memory that's just the way it is um that tendency that physiological so there's a there's a physiological and a psychological c- component to anxiety we have our central nervous system and it can be very reactive in some people and very non-reactive in other very mellow type nothing moves them you wonder if they're you can take their pulse they're so mellow like are you alive um i also tend to have some high-ish anxiety too but not a lot of nightmares well not that i know of maybe they happen and i don't remember uh which might be a blessing maybe i have nothing but nightmares and my brain just goes no that would be freaky deaky. Uh, but long story short on that, you've probably had this, you've certainly had a central nervous system similar to what you have today for your entire life. We would say you were kind of physiologically predisposed to anxiety and probably had anxiety as a kid. So a lot of these, and, and as a kid, you don't understand things very well and you're out of control of a lot of things. You can't fix problems, you know, and, and you catastrophize things because you're, don't have a good grasp on reality sometimes depending on how old you are what if the moon crashed into my house not gonna happen you don't know that as a kid um so your mind can go off on wild flights of fancy so there's a lot of good reason to believe that you know a a biologically a person biologically predisposed to anxiety who develops some psychological fixation on on worries and concerns and fears and definitely if you layer trauma on top of that that's that's not just a fear that everything could go wrong. That's proof everything has gone wrong and horribly wrong. So it's very understandable. People have, yeah, nightmares from trauma decades later because it's just that severe. And, and, and there's, um, speaking of genetic memory, but there's, uh, the way the brain seems to work is that nothing we have ever seen, heard, smelled, felt, thought ever disappears. It's all in there. And that kind of forms the collective unconscious. Like, once a new neural pathway in the brain has been formed, it doesn't unform. Like the brain doesn't disconnect itself like Legos and plug itself into a new connection. It just forms new pathways in a different direction. So that li- literally physically, every experience we've ever had that triggered a neural pathway or or created new connections is still in there. Um, and that seems to form the, this is where you said uh, earlier, like that's our subconscious trying to help us out. I said, yeah, uh, because all of that stuff is in there. And what we're trying to do constantly is figure out how not to die. And uh, in this world, you know, like I don't want to fall off a cliff. I don't want to get hit by a car. I, I you know, I, I don't want to make a uh, mistake gets me fired and then I lose my house and then I'm on the street and then I die. All of these things, the realistic concerns we've we got to live. Um, so what, what dreams seem to be doing is all that 
whatever our there's some process between consciousness and the subconscious that seems to want to dip down in there and pull things out that we can have a look at and figure out uh, Rubik's Cube style. And that's what happens with recurring dreams as well as you got a specific concept of, of, a, of a type of problem in, in a very specific form, a pattern that repeats in the dream. And it keeps coming back, in my estimation, is my working theory, because you don't understand it yet because you haven't figured it out. And it can be, I don't know what this is. I just want to see it more clearly. That's a valid kind of recurring dream without any conclusion. Or here's a specific problem. I need an answer. I need to resolve this. I need, I have a dilemma where I got six of one and half a dozen of the other, and I don't know which way to go. As soon as you can pick one and know that that's a certain path you should follow, you can let the other one go and you don't need the dream anymore. And I've, that is an experience I have had. I've talked to several people that had recurring dreams we talk about it. We, we identify some elements that they feel seem to make sense. And then the dream stops. They don't have it anymore. It's just gone. And now it's only been a couple of years. Maybe it'll come back. But these are people who said they had that dream regularly until they talked to me. And I'm like, I'm going to cry. That's that's amazing. I didn't, I didn't even know that was possible, that I that I could have that effect on someone. Um, or, or at the very least, the nature of the dream changes. Uh, it's a story I love to tell. I had a guy, episode 12, like way back in the beginning, my hair was super short. I was just beginning to grow it out. Uh, I didn't look like a wizard at all. Uh, he had a dream where he was, he would move through a house in the same pattern every time and he would get to the backyard and these shadow people would beat the hell out of him and he would wake up. So we talked about it and through our discussion of the dream and trying to understand what it was, he got back to me a week or two later and said, I had the dream again. And this time I didn't try to push past the shadow people to continue forward out, out of this backyard. And they talked to me. They turned out to be really nice guys. And they said they were looking out for me. They were trying to stop me from moving forward to, to help me. That blew me away too. I'm like, wow, to have the same recurring dream repeat, but differently this time, something changed. He, he, he chose, he was able to carry with him from our discussion some different understanding of the situation that he didn't have to repeat the same process. And, uh, well, you know, broadly speaking, I think we linked it to his um, leftover feelings about his military experience and kind of conceptualized it, you know, bet bet between the two of us and discussing it, that the shadow people represent some part inside himself that says you're not ready to confront certain realities yet don't get yourself into trouble by letting your you know grasp exceed your reach that kind of thing um yeah, yeah it's crazy it's so, crazy how like you could feel stuck in life in a way yeah and then in your dreams you're also stuck and you're trying to figure out hey how can i change my life and it's like you still have this dream so you're still struggling in both you could say your, your physical body physically mentally and then subconsciously and it's like you keep doing the same thing over and over again or you're trying to change stuff where you're still having this this reoccurring dream. It's almost like we said before, like your subconscious helping you out. They hate, I know you're changing, changing some stuff, but still you're not, you're not changing the right thing. So we're going to keep giving this dream over and over again until finally you can say you snap out of it, you change something that meaningful and then pop the, the dream is now, is now different. So you're, yeah. it's almost like your life is sh slowly changing for the better. For sure. I think our subconscious catches on to patterns faster than our conscious attention does. Um, so and basically, there's it's kind of a truism in some ways that you have to 
any understanding has to register in the subconscious before you can even have that thought consciously. I don't think it works the other way around. I mean, we can take in, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting a little out of my wheelhouse here, but that some, some, something about that, that's, there's something about that that's right. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that that's, that's the place that sees all, hears all, knows all, and it's trying to establish a connection so that we can really get it and figure out what to do. And then that's, that's recurring dreams. Um, one thing I was going to mention too, and I just, I just thought of it again. You did say, if I noticed other patterns of, of symbols in dreams, like, oh, like there is a lot of, there's a lot of water, um, that does, does seem to be a very common one. And I know I, I, I did the, um, kind of dismissal of the dream dictionary approach, even though, you know, in my estimation, some of these dream dictionaries are better and worse than others because a lot of them will give common human understanding of some of these things. Some of them are like, if you dream about, you know, butterflies, it means you're pregnant. Like, I don't think that's how it works. I honestly don't think that's how it works. Um, now that being said, uh, so, um, I cite Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung as really strong influences, but I'm not a Freudian. I'm not a Jungian analyst. These are very specific traditions. I'm, uh, that's why I kind of call myself a wizard. I'm like, I'm just doing my own thing in my own way. And it seems to work and I don't even understand it. I'm definitely operating on subconscious or intu intuitive stuff. And someday I'll write a book when I, when I figure out what the hell I do and how it works. Um, and that's why I do these you know, explanations too of like, well, let me tell you what it's kind of like, but it's all squirrely and all over the place. Now that said, there's a third primary influence on my understanding of dreams and that is a guy by the name of uh, William G. William Domhoff. I think it's G. William William Domhoff. Bill, call me Bill. He says um, I've actually been in communication with him. He's a retired professor from uh, University of Santa Cruz in California. He opened a website to collect dream experiences. He calls it the Dream Bank. I believe it's DreamBank.org. I think, and you can go there, and it's still there, and you can still contribute to it. Now his approach. So so. Freud's approach was, let's look, let's distill everything to the life drive, and it's all about sex. Fair enough. Jung said, it's bigger than that. It's the human experience. There's a lot of motivations. There's a lot of symbolism. And Domhoff took a different approach to it, which I, I think has equal validity, and it's a great, it's a great way, it's something to keep in mind, is what the way, I, the way I think about these things. He was more focused on, let's count the qualitative elements of the dream. You were speaking to a person. How many people did you speak to? How many people were present? What was the environment? Was it a house? Was it a, you know, the back of a truck? Um, what kind of interactions did you have? Were there animals? You know, how, were there any emotions? Were there any colors? And it's more of a tick the box for every one of those things and really give it a quantitative number analysis. There were five people, two dogs. Um, there were six colors I saw specifically. I felt joy but frustration. And so we're going to mark that as, as all these different categories. That's a great way too. Um, and so he's, so he's the guy to go to and then I, I, I need to go review that site again, um, to, to really get into those commonalities. Okay. Out of all these several thousand, I think some, so I think somewhere upwards over 20,000, 25,000 dreams he's collected. How many times does water appear? How many times does someone's mother appear? Um, so we, we, and I think you can, can draw from that. Okay. It looks like out of this sample, so huge sample size, a lot of people have dreams of water, something like 80%, maybe I, I'm pulling that out of my, my head, but, uh, certainly not out of the, out of the text. Um, what does that mean? I don't know. 
I mean, water is very important to people. Uh, a lot of people have fear of water or water represents different things. I mean, water, if you're uh, specifically a Chinese uh, uh, martial arts fan, a huge fan of Bruce Lee, he's famously said, be like water, my friend. So if that's what's important to you, that's how you conceptualize water is fluid, adaptable, powerful. That's going to mean something specific to you in the dream. Um, but it is fascinating that a lot of people do have commonalities of the things they dream about and that it isn't always easily explained by, well, people just need water. So sometimes they're going to dream of water. I think that's a little superficial or dismissive of it. I mean, I think there's probably something more to it. I just, I'm not sure yet. That's one of the great things about this is I don't know everything there is to know. I think I know more than most people. Maybe, maybe if I took my own horn, but I think there's so much more to learn that I'm probably never going to finish uh, learning things to the day I die. There's just I mean, too if, much if you to did, know. life would be boring. You know, that's the, that's that's the part of saying. life. Is there's yeah. so much, so much to learn, and you, and even if you, if if you think you learn it, you find something else, else, and then you keep going. It's like there's there's so much rabbit holes in every single thing. Like even like physics, even matter. You know, we we have we have cells, and then it goes even even smaller and smaller. You know, the mitochondria, or then you have you have atoms, you have neutrons, protons. It's just like how deep you want to go. That's how deep it, it could go. And it's almost like infinity. Everything is infinity because everything is is as big, and it gets bigger, and everything is small, and it gets even smaller. And it's yeah. almost it's like that infinity thing where you could keep going <laughs> forever and ever and ever. And even like when we die, who knows what happens when we die? Maybe we go go to a different you know different world that we're just energy or something it's everything i feel like is is infinity in a way but i have a question Ben. is there anything a uh, correlation between like horoscopes or like your your sign and and dream does that represent anything in, in like the the dream world i i do put astrology specifically uh into the spooky woo category of things that you know i god god bless you if, if you if you live by it i'm not going to tell you you shouldn't but I don't know what to do with, and I can't validate it. And, and I, I don't know that I found a connection, but these, these are, I mean, I love the questions. That's a great question because what if there was something to it? What if we found that, let's say we go to the Domhoff's dream bank and he, we added an extra category for, oh, by the way, what's your star sign? And we started finding out, well, turns out cancers dream about fire a lot. And that's, you know, and, or, or, and that uh, Aquarius dreams about water a lot. Okay. No, Aquarius is air. Pisces dreams about water a lot. I, I am familiar with the astrology. You know, I'm a Pisces, so typical ahead in the clouds, uh, 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 lover of fantasy and and and, and ideas. I, so I fit my horoscope, but it's true. Uh, but, but how how broad it is, who knows? Um, that I would be fascinated to know is if like your star sign appears to have you. It appears to correlate at least to whether or not you are having images related to the earth, air, water, and fire elements of these of these star signs. Now, that being the case, we would also have to do, you know, a, a additional research to say, let's rule in or out or just look at the look at the cause and effect possibility of people who are like really into astrology. And maybe they dream about water because they're a water sign and it's really on their mind. That's a part of their personality as I'm I'm a Pisces. Um Versus people who are like, no, nah, I don't believe in in astrology and I don't think of it ever. Um, and like I had to look up what the star sign was for my birthday in order to answer this question because I've never even really, I don't even remember. It's been so long. Um, I would, so again, I have, I have 
respect for people who believe in it. I don't personally, and I don't know that it does have any relevance, uh, but certainly if it did, I'm not well-versed enough to say I can bring that to an analysis and, and make it relevant and useful to the person. Yeah. yeah. That's where I'm at okay. on it. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned one thing in, before um, when we first started talking at the beginning of the podcast. So I'm actually trying to go to, I applied to school to get my psych nurse practitioner. So I'm curious on, on what you did when you were working inpatient psych, just out of curiosity, because I've only worked in ICU um, my whole life. So I've never worked in inpatient psych. So my, my goal is to, you know, get my um, psych NP and then eventually ideally open up my, my own clinic, do like cancer medication, maybe like men's health kind of a stuff. But I'm, at, but I'm really curious on how inpatient psych is for, because uh, you were a psychologist, correct, in inpatient psych? Or, well, no, I, uh, my title at the time was behavioral health yeah. therapist. And okay. so what we would do is the nurses had pretty much primary control of, or, or authority over in a way, but responsibility for medications, physical health, that kind of stuff. They were the only ones who could give pills, give shots, uh, if there was a wound, they addressed that and, and monitored, you know, a wound healing, that kind of thing. And then the um, behavioral health therapists were assigned as, as a partner with the nurses to conduct the psychiatric analysis on a given shift. So it was sh shift work, you know, eight to 12. It was eight hours mostly. I missed those days. But um, now, now I'm working from home, working like 12 hour days, seven days a week, which I love it. It's great. But, oh, if I could just work eight hours and, you know, make a living. Um, so the, the, the behavioral health therapist would be primarily responsible for doing the, the clinical charting and assessment in terms of where is this person at? What symptoms are they showing? Is there any, um, we're generating, you know, detailed clinical notes of kind of, here's how the day went. Um, they, uh, and compare it to another day, you know, prior, prior shifts, uh, uh patient has started to socialize Whereas previously they were completely isolated for three days. We just, just documented, here's the change. Then the psych psychiatrist will come along and read those notes and go, getting better. Good. That's what we want to see. Depression's easing out. Looks like the meds are working. Uh, but also the, the primary contact for, hey, does the patient need anything? Come to me. I'm your guy. Uh, do you want to sit down and talk? You're having a hard time de-escalating people that are, you know, heading for a conflict and leading restraints as necessary. You know, if someone is really out of control, you're severely psychotic or just personality disordered and trying to smash, smash windows. Um, so a, a little, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like oh, you're was... doing your own little assessment and, and evaluation of, of how things are, pro are progressing um, and what's actually kind of going on to like the day-to-day -day activities. Yeah. And doing the shift work thing, you know, we were there every day and we weren't doing, we had a different group of folks that did like ongoing therapeutic interaction. So it wasn't my role to, it wasn't like private one-to-one -one counseling where the person comes in, you get to know them, you sit and talk, you find out what the problems are, you make a strategy, you meet every week at the same time to try and track progress. Uh, there was no ability to do that consistently, to make a plan of care and to propose therapeutic interventions and have them follow through. We could do it we could do it ad hoc. We could do it in the moment. We could say, you know, and we would always sit down and talk to people to get that analysis and write a clinical note. We don't just, you know, it's not just behavioral. It was like, well, how are you feeling? How, what are you thinking about this stuff? What's, you know, do you have any new perspective on, on what you've been through? Do you want to talk about what you've been through? You know, some people don't, it's fine. Um, but during those, those discussions, you would, uh, 
look for opportunities to be useful in a way. And part of that was part of that was dreams. I did quite a few uh, with folks, you know, where I had, you know, 20, 20 minutes, half an hour to kind of go through the details and throw out a few ideas and say, you know, what if you look at it this way? What do you think? And I go, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So I get a little validation on that, on that score too, and hopefully provided something useful. Yeah. And then better working, working in inpatient psych. So I did have a, cl- a psych clinical years ago when I was in nursing school. And there were some people that had very violent dreams. Why do people have very violent dreams? Have you ever came into an individual that had, had very violent dreams and that kind of translated related to them being, you know, struggling emotionally or, or just violent and, and like, just like a violent person in general? Um, most of the folks who were the most violent were either kind of on the behavior or what is a personality disordered side of sociopathy, um, you, you know, um, and not really interested in therapy or willing to open up about it. Uh, they just, if they had a violent dream, they kept it to themselves. So maybe so. Um, that said, I have talked to people who had violent imagery in their dreams and it was not uncommon for it to be related to past traumas. It was usually them the victim of the violence in the dream or uh, in the rare instances where they were enacting the violence. Uh, and I use this example too, and this is just uh, complete um, fabrication on my part. If you have a dream that you stab your dog and in the, and you woke up from the dream horrified and just gut-wrenchingly sick to your stomach, why would I do that? That was awful. I do not look at that as oh my God, you really want to hurt your dog. You need to give it away. You need to check yourself in for care. Usually it's it's something along the lines of imagining you did something horrible. You made a horrible mistake that caused harm to someone or something near you that is helpless, dependent, and that you care for greatly. You didn't wake up in the dream going, that was fun. I can't wait to do it. You know, you were horrified. Why would I do this? That's and so it's more conceptualizing. It's not about the dog. It's not about the knife. And it's not about the imagery of the dream as such. It's more the concepts involved. Like 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 that idea of, of assessing, what if I'm responsible for someone or something else and I do damage? How bad, how terrible would I feel? And you wake up feeling terrible. And it's like, mission accomplished. You you A lot of dreams are thought experiments. What if? What if, mm, what if I look okay. at it this way? What if this thing happens? That's a lot of what we do when we're daydreaming too, is either looking into the future going, it's going to be so nice when I have all the things I want, or we catastrophize or fantasize about all the things that could go wrong. Well, you know, this, that, or the other. So yeah. Cool. And that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for being here. I really appreciate you for your time. Uh, One more time. Can you give us, um, I'm not sure if you have any social media pages, can you give us a a link or somewhere where people can reach out to if they have any questions or are seeing any kind of help? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one-stop shop is uh, BenjaminTheDreamWizard.com. You can find all my links on the about page there. I am on, you know, Twitter and Minds and, uh, or X, they call it X now, I guess. I'm never going to call it X. I can't. It's Twitter forever in my head. Um, but, and you can find uh, all 16 currently available works of historical dream literature and uh, MP3 downloads and a link to the, to the YouTube page. I'm Benjamin the Dream Wizard on YouTube as well. That's where I do my full length, uh, dream interpretation interviews and play video games. Uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Cool. Awesome. Thanks again, Ben. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good talk. 
Ooh, I gotta go. I've been working, told him, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my 